Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good whatever it might be for you. Welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway. Nothing is as big as a footlong. My name's Matt Walsh and I'm joined, as always, by Jake Michaels. Jake, uh, pretty decent round of footy, uh, even though it sort of spanned over about uh, 20 days. It was uh, it was a long one. I the first thing I said to you on Monday morning was what a great weekend, and it was like <laughs> no, it's a been, it's a week. It's we're doing this Tuesday midday, and we're almost a full week on from uh, that open season opener. So that was good though. Like I, I think most years it probably takes takes a, a round or two to get into the flow of it again and to get the excitement back. But I tell you what, seeing seeing the seventy two thousand blue baggers out there on Thursday night. It is our year. (laughs) The Blues are back. Um, Given there was such a long week of footy, Jake, we might need to start doing daily podcasts or twice weekly podcasts just to sort of keep up with it all. Christian, I don't know what your availability is like at Champion Data, but uh, if you want to come on a couple of times a week, maybe we could start making that happen. We talk footy 24-7, you know that. So (laughs) come on. But yeah, that's, uh, yeah, exactly. Round one, I think what they've done really, really well is every game was... um, separated so we got to watch you know if you're real footy heads like us you got to watch all 18 teams across the round didn't miss a game um which i certainly did and yeah just sort of again coming into round one and as i said being able to watch all 18 teams gets you sort of excited about the season what's ahead yeah i I didn't mind that at all the only thing i wasn't a massive fan of was the sort of quarter to 8 p.m start on a sunday when they could have had it a bit earlier um I think the, the Sunday fixturing could have been tweaked a little, but I'm, I'm whinging because I, I think I had the early start yesterday on Monday, Jake. So I had to sort of take, take my leave at halftime and then ro- watch the rest of that match the next morning. Take a mark from the game, so to speak. Yeah, it, that was a bit strange. I didn't notice that. Um, yeah, who knows? Strange. As I, as I always say, you got to ask Gil. He, he'll tell you, he'll give you the answer. Well, that was the other one I noticed. On, so we started at 7.10 on Wednesday night into 7.25 on Thursday night into 7.50 on Friday night. Seven, and then 7.25 a, and 8.10 on Saturday night because pick a starting time. On a, if it's a week <laughs> night, is it 7.25 or is it? Yeah, I just don't know how they come up with those three different times. I think they're throwing darts at a dartboard. Uh, before we get into today, guys, and there's heaps to talk to uh, talk about rather, um, you know, we've got a lot on the agenda. Something from round one which piqued your attention, Jake? Well, it's it's a frustration I have. I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, and I noticed it about half a dozen times over the course of round one, and I don't want to get stuck into the commentary from, from the get-go on season four of the podcast. But can we make a rule? Let, we, we can only control what we control. So let's make a rule on this podcast. From, from now on, I never want to hear the term for mine. I hate when people say a statement and then put throw for mine on the end of it or begin it begin their statement with for mine. It means nothing. It makes you sound like a bogan and there's absolutely no need to have it. And I heard it six, seven times over the course of the weekend from a wide range of commentators. I hear it all the time from people I respect and I don't understand why people say it. Right. That's what piqued my interest and frustrated the hell out of me over the weekend. So can we please, let's make that, let's make that a rule for this show. Okay. We can do our very best. We'll just add that to the list of commentator grievances you have, because you, you do have a few. Hey, uh, I'm you not don't the like one. the West Coast and the Gold Coast. Yeah, and... that's, that does annoy me. But this one, I reckon it might be top of the list. So Jesus, yeah. That's shut up the power rankings pretty quickly, hasn't it? <laughs> 
Uh, Christian, something that uh, which piqued your attention during round one? Yeah, again, I'll dive into some of the stat stuff later. And it's usually you two that bring up the quirky stuff as we're just seeing from then from Jake. But um, yeah, mine's probably a little bit just a simplistic one. Saturday afternoon, watching a red footy getting kicked around. I love a red footy. And then I never realised how much I loved it until Saturday afternoon, Geelong Essendon sent a bounce. And I just thought, why does this game look so good? You know, it's traditional Saturday afternoon, which is, you know, where I spent the first 20 years of my life going on the footy every Saturday. But um, yeah, just red footies. How good are they? You talk about um, you talk about start times on, on night games throughout the years. And if you go back sort of 20, 25 years when footies were played with mostly red footies, they're all Saturday 2.10 starts. There's none of this sort of, Jesus, 7.10, 7.40, 8.10, 7.25, all that sort of stuff. So, What is it about I, the red ball that you like? Is it? I, I don't know. It was just is it more traditional. As, as I said, I don't know what it was, but watching Geelong and Essendon, there was something just inside of me or just, just something that just made me feel good. And it is, I, I am very picky on the yellow footy being played when there's sun shining. So Adelaide Frio, they play with a yellow footy and I don't think the sun set by the mm. time the game ended. So yellow footy. Can they play with a red one and then switch to a yellow one? No. no. Well, uh, yes, I, I don't know. You know, I don't think they can do that, but. Is a red know. footy that hard to see when the lights are on? They got really good lights at these stadiums these days. Can we do a trial red footy at night with, with, you know, under the lights, the G or something like that? I can honestly say I've never watched a game and thought I can't see the, the ball should be a different color. There are times where the shadows look terrible at some stadiums at certain times where you got the shadow across half the ground and you, it's really hard to see. Hmm. I, the, ball, the balls don't bother me too much. Fair enough. Um, weird, I, but... I agree with Christian though. I think <laughs> there's something about sort of seeing Paddy Dangerfield with his socks up. Um, you know, nice haircut you can set your watch to. And, and he's just sort of streaking down the middle of the ground with a red footy kicking inside 50. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Something what's, which... what's this? You're, you're, was that a Patrick Dangerfield? Um, were you pumping him up? Not, I'm not a big slagging fan. him off? Big fan of Patrick Dangerfield. I don't, don't slag when? Patrick Dangerfield off. No, no, I'm a big fan of Patty. You, you got a bit of the Dangerfield look going there, hasn't he? Oh, I've been not, told that not, before, not good uh, podcast chat, but uh... no, it's not great podcast chat at all. Uh, <laughs> something that piqued my attention. I have a few. I really, really, and this is a little bit too quirky, so maybe I'll do a couple. Um, the first one was uh, David Roden, the goal umpire, was back in action on Sunday, uh, Hawthorne and North Melbourne, and that signature smile when he when when he's signalling the goal was back. And I think every single time he sort of he, he sort of sees a goal go through and. Just sort of smiles to himself and he's you know, half nodding and 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 does. The I, I think he knows now that it's become such a such a thing. <laughs> I would love for him and and David Roden, please, if, if ever you come across this podcast, I would love for him to, as he's about to, like while he's smiling and as he's about to signal a goal, just whatever whatever um, side of the ground he's on, whichever end of the, the the ground he's at, just look towards where the cameras would be and do it while you're doing the signal. I reckon that'd be that's just the next evolution. Little, give a cheeky little wink or something. Well, because if you remember many years back, I think there was a goal umpire who was umpiring his last game in Perth and he did the the thumbs up version. Thumbs and up think, and doing all. Yeah, that was quite weird watching that and then found out the next day he'd taken off, he'd left the country and that was the last <laughs> game he was doing. So, <laughs> so I mean, uh, maybe David Roden, he can save that until his, his retirement match. But um, yeah, I very much enjoyed watching him. The other one was, uh, and I wasn't alone with this, I had many people went to many games over the weekend and lamented the the lack of food and drink or the lines for food and drink over there. You the couldn't weekend. get your $2 pies. Well, I think a lot of people had the same idea, to be honest. And I don't blame them. You know, go back at the, the, the MCG, for instance, for the first time in a long time, um, you know, you want to have some chow, you want to socialize, you want to have a beer with some mates. But and look, honestly, that we knew that this was going to be an issue. because I think I, I don't know if I told you guys on the pod last week or the week before, but I was chatting to a guy who works at the MCG and he said, 
Um, they changed providers. So they'd gone from whatever you know catering company to a new catering company, but they were well short on staff, well short on staff. And they, ha- they are still going to be well short on staff because a lot of the staff that they have employed over the course of time have been um, you know, either uni students from overseas and all this sort of stuff. So attracting sort of these casual, and you can only really do casual staff in these positions because there are only games over three, well, mm. it depends if it's round one, there's games over five days, but there's only games over a weekend and they only go for so long that, you know, they're very much these casual positions. And so they're struggling to attract, um, they're struggling to attract workers, which is a bit of a shame because- So was the issue that they, the that it was taking too long to get served or they just didn't yeah. have any food available? No, the food, well, the food that was there was available, but it was, it was just a personnel issue. So- um, right. If you are going to the footy, I can tell you this from experience for, from two games on the weekend. Take you your get there two and a half. <laughs> if you get there two and a half hours beforehand, there are no lines and the food is right there. So if you are looking to get a chow, some chow at the footy, maybe just get there a little bit earlier uh, and then avoid it at half time and, and just sit at your seat at the half time. Fair enough. Mm. Hey, let's move into the body of the podcast. We've got a new segment, Jake. Uh, and this is exciting because we've pinched this from the, uh, the ASPN's NFL guys. They have this. Um, this weekly sort of, well, it's a yarn. So we're going to do it on the podcast, but they do a piece every week called let's overreact to blah, blah, blah. And basically they uh, look at something that happened on the weekend from the weekend of, uh, of NFL action. And then basically they overreact to it. And they, they go through the worst possible scenarios of what it could mean. And then sort of, you know, analyze and, and overanalyze and then sort of claw things back and, and eventually sort of come to come, come to some consensus. Geez, say that quickly three times. Um, so we thought we'd do that. And I'll open this up to, to both of you, but I want to overreact to the Bombers spanking at the hands of Geelong because it's easy to, to overreact to this. You know, a 66-point loss, 11 goals. It could have been much worse. I reckon that flatters them almost. Oh, but Jake, it does. kick us off. Let's overreact to that loss. Well, it was easily, easily the worst performance of the round. Um, it was, I think we had Rowan Connolly uh, saying yesterday that they just proved how lazy and how soft that they were. Um, you know, some of the differentials, I know Christian has some numbers that he'll get into later with some of the, with some of the statistics are just extraordinary. You can't even believe it. So look, I, you can easily stand here and say, based on what we saw from all 18 clubs, and, and as you said before, we, with the way the fixturing was, we could watch all of the games they were easily the worst team for the weekend. And you can make the case right now that they're destined for a bottom four finish. Oh, geez, that's an overreaction if ever I've heard one. I like it though. This is exactly what this, this segment's about. Let me, let me throw this at you, Jake. I reckon they know where they can fix this. They had a few, pe- had a few people out. They had a few goal kickers out. You know, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody's still not in the side. Uh, he's just trying to get his, his uh, mental health and mental space right. Um, Kale Hooker, who's been swung forward, that, I think he kicked sort of 40 goals last year, yeah. might have been. Um, so the, the outlets for these midfielders were, were not there, the usual ones that they're used to. I'll also say that, you know, they know where to fix it in the engine room. I think they, they were absolutely smashed. And Christian, you can talk to this, but they were smashed in the contested ball, smashed in the clearances. But, you know, Darcy Parrish was the number one center clearance midfielder last year. So he, he can improve. So I, I'm not sure that what we saw on the weekend will become a trend. Um, and if anything, I think you've almost got to give a little bit of credit for Geelong because Christian, you said on this podcast last week that they've tried something new for the first time in, or they're going to try something new for the first time in almost you know nine or 10 years. And they're finally, you know, instead of doing the same old thing that obviously hasn't worked to a certain point in finals, they're, they're, they've thrown out the playbook and they've got some new assistants in and some new assistant positions in, and they're, and they're going to try something different. So Christian, do we, do we give a little bit of credit to Geelong in, in, in how they played or is it all on the bombers and sort of their lack of application? 
Um, we'll start with Geelong. I mean, again, yeah, we talk about new game style and that's probably with ball in hand and ball movement. But, I mean, one thing that they dominated in that they've always dominated in, dominated in across the last 10 years was contested possession. So they won the contested possession count 151 to 109. Uh, that's that's a, that's a smashing. That's smashing. I don't think that that differential and, should and be understated. Yeah, clearances was fifty one twenty seven, so almost doubled them in clearances, which again is an you know anything more than ten is an absolute smashing. So Geelong continued the bully ball, um, and then yes, they they were able to you know put one hundred and thirty eight points on the board with just seventy six marks, and so not a lot of chipping around to try to get that generate that score. But again, I was I was that was one of the games I got to sit on the couch and watch from home. I did. I looked at it more of a disappointment for Essendon. They had so much of the ball and they just, and again, taking that step back and looking at, okay, they probably didn't have that forward line that they, you know, as we said, they lost four of their top five goal kickers from last year, didn't play in this game. But they had more of the ball than Geelong. The fact is they had 408 disposals, Geelong had 389. So to get completely smashed at contested possessions, they were still able to get the ball back in general play. But they they just seemed to be doing nothing in it. So again, they finished the round as the number one team for uncontested possession differential. So passed the ball around and flipped it around better than anyone else. 18th for contested possession differential, which we just talked about the smashing there. So to me, it was, yeah, it's a little bit of uh, um, application and effort is to, you know, to win that first ball, the clearances, the contested possessions, just to continually be smashed in that. They won 12 hardball gets for the game. Uh, compared to Geelong's 34, the 12 hardball gets for Essen, and that's that's your ground ball gets where you're sort of going in and under to win the ball. Yeah. That's their fewest ever as a club recorded since Champion Data was around in 99. So never seen fewer than 12 hardball gets for that's, them. That's but as I said, it, it was the fact that they, you know, they dominated uncontested possession, you know, plus 50-odd uh, in uncontested possession, number one for the round. So they were, they just had the ball, but they were doing nothing with it. And again, whether that was because they just didn't have anything forward of the play to kick to. Well, we're going to talk about um, scores from, from clearances and from center bounce and, and a little bit later on, but I mean, you can kind of see where this goes hand in hand. Geelong put up a massive score. The Bombers couldn't go hard at the contest. Geelong, you know, beat them by 11 goals. Jake, you can kind of look at this and say, these are the issues here, but like I said before, you can kind of almost easily fix them or, or there's, there's a little fix there. I think you I can don't look think at. you can easily fix them because even if you bring all those forwards back and I'm not disputing that they had their forward line was completely foreign to anything we've, we've seen from the bombers in the past couple of years. So you bring all those guys back that you mentioned before, but the, the issue was what Christian just said in the midfield and the midfield would be probably the area that you look at with Essendon on paper and say with players like, uh, McGrath and Shield, Merritt, Parish. You know they've got they've got a, enough in there, and then they then they go out and get absolutely hammered like that. And you look at their stat lines, and you think, oh, you know, again, you, you don't look at the final score. If you look at their st- their stats, which is what a lot of people do, you think they've all played well and they've all done their job. You know, Merritt, Parish, and McGrath had over hundred touches between them, but they got absolutely smashed in the midfield. So I don't necessarily think just bringing back Jake Stringer and Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, and, and some of the other forwards is going to necessarily fix their problem in the midfield. I just think it straightens them up a little bit. So you're right. If we talk about numbers, you know, Merritt's had 39, Parrish has had 34. Like they're always going to get the high disposals, but maybe, yeah, maybe put Stringer and McDonald forward the ball and the 39 for Merritt becomes 35 because he doesn't need to do the one, two to try to, you know, buy some time because Tom Stewart's sitting back 60 metres in the clear. Because that's what it looked like to me. And again, watching it off TV, it's always hard to see. They had the ball and they kept doing a lot of U-turns. And I remember, you know, even as a kid, there's 
uh, junior footy, you know, no U-turns, don't do any U-turns. Mm. We don't capture it as a stat, but I saw Essendon do at least, you know, 15, 20, where they were sort of running in one direction and looking forward to the play and just couldn't trust to kick it forward. So a couple of times, yeah, they had five or six handballs between them where they just didn't need, where one kick would have been needed if they had someone forward to the play. Uh, the Bombers doesn't get any easier. They've got the Lions at Marble Stadium this week upcoming and then uh, Melbourne at the MCG after that, Jake. So we could, could be looking at be an 0-3 yeah. start for the Dons. Uh, yeah. And look, we, we've seen that they've had strong back ends to, to seasons before to make finals. But, uh, you know, we overreacted at the start of this segment. Where are we going to settle on the Bombers? Are we, are we you know, watching and waiting? Is it is it panic stations? Like, what's the, what, what are we going to consensus, find a consensus at? I don't think it's panic. Even if you lose by 100 points in round one, I don't think it's panic stations. It's, it is just one game and they could come back. They could come back and win this week and then the whole narrative changes. Um, but I don't, as I said, I don't necessarily think that bringing a couple of players back like it would for certain other teams would just instantly change this side. I think mm-hmm. they were just absolutely smashing the midfield. And as I said, I think that's probably their, their strongest uh, part of the team. So um, I don't know. I, I, I can't see them... I can't see them having a better year than last year. That's why I, That's why the next two weeks, what you just said, Matt, about their opposition, they're coming up against two more great contested possession teams. Yep. So they played Geelong, who are probably the best, Melbourne probably second, and Brisbane are probably top three or four for contested possessions over the last few years. So again, looking at those head-to-head matchups, you probably as an essence supporter go, well, we'd most likely be zero and three after these games. It'd be good to get one win. But to me now, it's it's going into the contested possession gate. You can't lose any of the next two games by more than 20 contested possessions or more than 15 clearances, uh, yep. even though you're coming against the good sides. I think that's, you know, that's what they're going to judge on is how much can we improve at the content. And, and you also can't lose all, your first three games by 10 goals each because if you are fighting for a final spot in the back end, that's going to kill you, the percentage. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Don's one to watch in the next few weeks, that's for sure. Uh, Christian, we've lamented scoring and the trend down of scoring over over the last few years but round one was a little bit uh, it went the other way an average of 87.9 points per team uh, per game and, and and that was sort of deflated by a couple of teams you look at um, Hawthorne and North Melbourne had a bit of a low scoring affair but then it was inflated by a few, a few other teams you saw um, the, the Giants had, and the Swans had a really high scoring matchup in Sydney it was one of the, the best games I think I've seen for a while um, what's the deal with scoring at the moment are we going to see a shift back to high scores because we saw a number of teams scores from center bounces at, at almost record levels. We saw streaks of scores. We saw teams piling on three, four, five goals at many different times throughout their matches. Is this a, a little bit of a shift back to kind of seeing higher scores across the board? Well, yeah, you can only hope so. And again, we, we talk about it every year on the pod. Round, first two or three rounds, numbers are sort of higher, especially for scoring and ball movement. Um, usually the weather's a little bit better. Teams are fresher and probably, you know, haven't, I'm playing with those sort of, dogged game styles that you get later in the season. So scoring is up slightly, but yeah, we sort of talked about the goal streaks and the, the, the scores from centre bounces is one and another one. So 260 points scored out of centre bounces, which is the most since round 15, 2018. So the most since we've had the 666 mm. really. Mm. Uh, so teams coming straight out of the centre and scoring. Um, I think Hawthorne ended up with just a behind from that, but nearly every other team kicked at least one goal from centre bounce clearances, you know, straight out of the centre across the round. And I think for the first time uh, since round two, 2017, every team kicked three goals in a row at least once across the game. So went on a three-goal streak. Uh, is that momentum game. that we always talk about? Well, there it oh. is, yeah. So <laughs> Touchy subject. Again, so, you know, it, it led to aesthetically great watching play, great to see, you know, teams bust out of the centre and kick a goal. Again, you know, 
uh, talking about momentum, momentum shifts, uh, shifts, the three goals being kicked in a row, sort of, you know, can, can either break open a game or get a team back into it. So it's exciting to watch. But again, it was sort of, um, you know, speaking to a few clubs and things like that, I think what we got to remember as fans is coaches see these stats too. So we talk <laughs> about every team has kicked eight, uh, if all 18 teams have kicked three goals in a row for the first round ever in three years. On the flip side, every team has conceded three goals in a row at least once across the round. And you can guarantee all of those 18 teams are, are trying not to concede more than two goals in a row. So it's almost like it was it was too high scoring this round because I think, you know, putting my it's statistician gonna... hat on and looking at what happens in the past, it goes too high in one round. The coaches go ultra defensive and we might start to lose a bit of this scoring. So we can only hope that scoring stays high. But as I said, the coaches are looking at this and they're, they're not loving the game. There's no way they want 260 points being kicked out of centre bounces every round. And even though they are kicking three goals in a row, I think they're, a lot of their energy and focus is going to be how do we stop the opposition from kicking three in a row? Jake, I think I say this every year, but it's exactly right. The coaches don't want these high-scoring affairs. They want more defensive positions. The coaches want... are happy to win six points to one, <laughs> <laughs> so long as they win. Hey, so when you say we generally start off the year with higher scores and then they trend down, because I know it's something that we have also mentioned on this podcast in previous seasons. How much are we talking? Like how many yeah, points do we Under talk? a goal, yeah. So if, from, you know, if you look at the first three or four rounds, usually maybe four to five points higher than what it is by the end of the season. Um, so not, so not, not drastic, but again, usually when you break down the season, the first, as I said, three or four rounds are going to be the highest scoring rounds. You might have a flukish, you know, three or four rounds in the middle of the season where a few teams um, kick some high scores. But generally speaking, the first four rounds are, as I said, probably probably not a goal of difference, probably about four or three points difference than the end of season average. The, the eye test for me, Jake, um, I think probably most evidenced by Carlton was just how quickly, and Christian mentioned this, how quickly you can sort of get back into a game when you, you might be three, four, five goals down. So mm. uh, it, it, the AFL must be must have really enjoyed watching that that first round of footy. They you know kick their feet back and sort of say, hey, 666, it's, it's year four, 2019, it started, came in. Yep. So you're four of six, six, six now. Uh, and, and it seems like coaches, um, they understand that there's this maybe 10 second period as soon as the ball is bounced where there's not going to be much interference from these periphery players on the wing or on, on the flanks. And they have, I think now they've sort of mastered these center bounce setups. And I was watching on the couch last night and they sort of highlighted these points where once the ball sort of spills towards the ground, and there's what say there's there's three players and the ruckman. There's three players around the ball. The player that's not near the ball, that that you know would normally probably make their way to that contest. They're instead going away from that contest, and they're backing the two players that might be closer to the ball to you know flick, flick out a couple of hand passes, and then they're open. And it just sort of seems to me I was sort of looking at this. You know, a few different teams are doing it. Paddy Dangerfield streaking away. Like he's been doing it for a while. But it looks like coaches have identified that if you can get those those quick outlet hand passes to a running player and get that clearance really quickly and, and before the periphery players run in, you've got this sort of wide open spot to kick it sort of 60 metres from the centre and, and all of a sudden you're in the hot spot. And if you've got a good marking forward or you've got good crumbing forwards, the the likelihood of you scoring from a centre bounce is is high. And that's another one I'll look at. I reckon you talk about how clubs yeah got the 66 right. I think a lot of it's to do with forward line spacing and things like that. And who's yep. coming I think, you know, year one we saw a lot of, okay, we know who our full forward is, put him in the goal square. Now we're seeing full forward, you know, the marking player starting 45 out because that's more likely where the kick's going to land. You're starting a bit high. So again, tinkering with your 666 forward setup of, all right, where do we actually stand? And 
um, who do we actually put, you know, deepest and, you know, do we put our tallest players at the front or the back of the 50? I think that's got, I think clubs have gotten a lot smarter with where they position their forwards as well. Well, it was good looking, that's for sure. Um, fingers crossed the coaches don't go too crazy and, and try and put the clamps on this sort of stuff because it was good looking footy. And it's, and as we sort of saw, um, or as you had told us, Christian, every team had a three goal streak at some point. So it just goes to show that you don't really need to clamp down defensively. If you can just sort of wrestle the, the play back to your own terms and, and just do it yourself. Um, but as we know, Jake, I don't think coaches are going to buy what I'm saying, especially about attacking footy. Uh, we had a few amazing round one performances whether it be a, you know, just a debut overall, uh, whether it was a club debut, I think you could have given the rising star nod to any one of about sort of four or five different players uh, at, at, throughout different stages of the week, but end up being Nick Martin from, from the Bombers for his was it 27 disposals and five goals, Jake. Yep. It certainly was um, pretty hard to argue against that, but uh, in any other week, but you look at some of the other um, nominees or, or people who could have been nominated. And there were some impressive performances. We saw Josh Rochelle kick five on debut for the Crows and almost single-handedly keep Adelaide in that game against Frio. Um, Nick Dacos, I mean, probably didn't overwhelm us, but still an amazing performance. When you, when you think of sort of expectations, you probably think, ah, oh, he's had a good game. But if you didn't have those expectations, you'd be thinking this bloke's played one game and, and look at what he's done. Uh, absolutely. I think uh, I read something uh, earlier this morning that in the past, I think it was the past 19 years, we've only seen three players uh, kick five on debut, uh, d- like at their AFL debut, and two of them happened this weekend. So pretty crazy. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a great round for the debut, and not just not just players making their AFL debut, but players making club debuts as well. Yeah, well, Christian, I think you've got a few stats on both the first-year players and, and players that have been traded in and how, they, how they've basically hit the ground running at AFL level or at their new club. Yeah, so just going back to Jake's point about the five-goal uh, on debut, yeah, notice that. So 2003, Marty McGrath did it for Richmond, um, kicked five goals on debut. So that was 03. We sort of had a drought till 2021 last year, round six. Uh, I hate saying his name. Riley Tilthorpe, I'll go with, kicked five. And then, yeah, we've seen it twice in uh, one round with... Rochelle and Martin. So uh, again, we've spoken about player rating points um, on the pod before, and I know um, Jared Barker is going to do um, an article on this for you guys. That will be up on the site tomorrow, I believe, but it was uh, we saw three of the best uh, debuts of the last 20 years um, on the weekend. So that's using player rating points. Uh, Josh Rochelle finished as the top rated player in his game um, and 23.8 rating points, which is the second most on debut in the last, uh, as I said, since 2010, when player ratings was around. Jack Hayes got 22 rating points, which is the fifth most we've ever seen on debut. And 11th was Nick Martin, the rising star nominee. So again, first player to have, you know, 25 touches and five goals on debut since champion data has been around. So those three guys sort of, you know, led the way ratings wise. Um, you spoke about Nick Dacos, so he's 20 to 27 disposals was the same as Nick Martin. So that puts him equal 11th on debut. Um, that's going back to 99 for that stat. So, um, yeah, but another thing I noticed was the actual traded in players. Um, I thought were just as good as some of the debutants, um, you know, without sort of talking blokes down. I thought Horn Francis, Josh Ward, we're going to see a lot more from those guys. They, they, they're only going to get better. But mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, there was, I counted 17 sort of traded in uh, play, you know, traded in meaning either recycle players, so they were either traded in or delisted free agents playing their first game for their new club on the weekend. And I probably gave about 13 ticks across those 17 players. So, 
Um, you know, probably the, the highlight of it was Tyson Stengel at Geelong, 20 disposals, four goals, 11 score involvements, um, was close to their top rated player for the day. And as you said, Matt, at the start, before the pod, he was, he was lost to footy wilderness. He'd almost been, you know, was out of the system and lost his spot, but yeah, it's come it's a great in. Great story, especially you consider, I think, I think when, when he was, I reckon when when Adelaide sort of said that they weren't going to be pursuing him anymore, I think I, I, we might have had a conversation about it, Jake. And, and the conversation, I think it went something like, I can't see him getting an, another gig or, or at mm. least getting another gig that we can kind of see him thriving in. Um, but then, you know, Eddie Betts goes as a welfare officer to the Cats, um, you know, obviously has, has taught him a little thing or two about, uh, you know, goal kicking and sharp shooting as well. Uh, and all of a sudden he's, he's one of the best stories to come out of round one. So kudos to him and kudos to the Cats and, and, and everyone involved. Yeah, and another one on, on Friday night, another one that's sort of been, uh, I think, Bulldog supporters would have, you know, loved to have seen him stay and give him more opportunity at his club. But, yeah, Pat Lipinski for Collingwood, 30 disposals, three score assists, eight score involvements. Again, I, I was a big fan of Lipinski. He was used as a sub a lot for Western Bulldogs. But as a type of bloke, when he played, he clearly showed he could find the ball. He's got some, you know, forward craft. And, yeah, had, again, was probably one of Collingwood's best midfielders now that we're talking about Pendlebury and Sidebottom and a few others being moved and shifted out of the centre bounce uh, setup. Pat Lipinski really stood up. Another one, Jordan Clark, 20 disposals, five intercept possessions. And the big thing with him, 716 metres gained. So he's a running outside player and he did it, you know, devastatingly well for Frio against Adelaide. Uh, even someone like Mabel Choll at Gold Coast, at, you know, only the eight, eight disposals, but two goals, 11 pressure racks, sort of a couple of those pressure racks, you know, led to goals because they led to turnovers. Uh, Will Brody, another one, 22 disposals, 13 contested possessions, five tackles. So, yeah, just uh, again, I, I, not something I went back and compared to other years, but I don't remember another round one where you sort of went, all of those traded in players have all sort of made a big impact. And I haven't even spoken about, you know, George Hewitt and Adam Chera for Carlton from Thursday night. I was about to say, the lid's off already down at Icon Park. You might as well just keep keep on piling the praise. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Chera had 30 disposals, six tackles, but it was his last quarter that impressed me. 12 disposals, 387 metres gained in a quarter. So we talk about how hard it is to get 1,000 in a game. He's had 387 in a quarter. Had the four clearances, kicked 1-1. One, one. Uh, I spoke about George Hewitt, as I said. Yeah, 28 disposals, 13 contested possessions. Uh, so yeah, again, just even some of the some of the lower ones. I mean, um, Petrovsky Seaton at West Coast had 15 disposals, 17 pressure racks, so did his job quite well. Robbie Tarrant, um, you know, didn't have huge numbers, but probably slotted in, per, you know, exactly what Richmond need in that back line. Uh, Jake Kelly probably a little bit similar at Essendon. They didn't have the greatest game, but you can see where he fits in. Hugh Greenwood at North had, you know, exactly what you need him to do: 19 disposals, seven ground ball gets. So. Yeah, just a, a big thumbs up to all the traded in players, whether that's, yeah, the, the recruiters and the recruits themselves actually putting in the hard yards and, yeah, making an impact at their new teams. I mean, the challenge now is obviously to be consistent over the course of a year, but it's always good to get uh, your career off on the right foot at a new club in particular. Um, Jake, we were discussing this before the pod as well, but uh, and I said it in the intro to this, this little segment, but could have been one of, you know, four different, five different players for the Rising Star. Um, they've gone with a guy that that has kicked five and had 27 disposals. Christian, I think you said it was the 11th? 11th most disposals, but no one's ever had 25 and five. Right. 25 but, touches and five goals. But now. in terms of rating points, I think you said Rochelle was the hot, was higher. Yeah. Jake, is was Nick Martin the right choice in round one, especially given a couple of his goals came later in the piece when the game was well out of reach? Where do you sort of stand on, on rewarding players that... Uh, I, that 
I think if you've kicked five goals and you've had 27 touches, regardless of the result in your first game, I think you'd, you can't be outraged that you, that he was given the nod. I mean, you could go either way, but I don't think it's, I certainly don't think it was a, it was a, the wrong call that the AFL made. Um, now, I don't some, think there's a, I don't think there would have been a wrong call. That's the thing. No, he, I, I'm more sort of than wonder. happy with, with Martin getting it. I guess the, the issue is, if their reasoning is we'll give it to Martin because we know Rochelle will get, will have another big game later in the year, maybe next week where he'll get the nod, then that's probably not the right way to go about it. But if they genuinely thought that Martin was the better player, and I could certainly, you could certainly make that case, um, then I'm more than happy with that. I'm, I'm comfortable. I think he was fantastic. And as Christian said, t- just 27 and five, like <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a, how many players will do that over the course of this year? And so, that's, and that's five out of eleven on debut as yeah. well. Playoff. He wasn't there. Limited, oh, limited opportunities. <laughs> yeah, no, no, fair enough. Uh, obviously, a discussion amongst fans on on Twitter. I, I love it when the Rising Star nomination comes around because you, you're bound to get in the replies. And Jake, we know this well, working in sports media. Um, some of the replies you get, it's like, oh, that's outrageous. And, you know, a few swear it's words. It's outrageous. As well. There's the guy with an Adelaide Crows cap, honestly. <laughs> Uh, let's move on. Uh, return of one of our favorite segments, Justified Hype or Hyperbole, the segment where I'll say a statement. You guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Christian, I might start with you. It's time to get rid of the 666 warning. Uh, yeah, Justified Hype. I've, I've never understood the reason of the warning. I don't understand why they tell the Ruckman, who has is probably the least needed to know about the all he, all he has to do is stand in that circle. He, you know, he knows his job, but he gets, he's the one that gets told the warning and doesn't have time to tell anyone. So it's sort of like, well, what are you, what are you whispering to the Ruckman and how is yeah, this helping? Tell the guy a hundred meters away from you to move. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. As I said, it was, yeah. Uh, it escaped me what game it did happen in, which game did there it happen? Are a few, they, there are a few. They gave the war. There was, a, yeah, one of the closer games in the last quarter, they gave the warning and then they just, the next center bounce was a free against. It was like, well, that's the obvious one. If you stuff up two center bounces in a row, uh, but you're right, Jake. There's no need to give a warning. Just maybe for the first time, you give it, you tell them, you give them an extra five seconds to get the guy in, in spot. Um, there's no point whispering to the ruck. Uh, there's just on that. I honestly cannot think of a rule in any sport where a warning is given. For, the only thing that I can kind of see is like a yellow card given. But even that in itself is a penalty by being given a yellow card. Um, because mm. you know you get you in certain competitions, yellow cards accrue and you miss games and that sort of stuff. But it, it's just the only rule in sport that I can think of where you're given a warning and you can get a you can get that same warning every single game for the year and nothing happens. It's just bizarre to me. It's Either like said, get rid of it completely. Six six six. Sorry, year four of six six six. We know the rules. Yeah, exactly. But but it doesn't matter if we're year four, year 40, or year one. Like, that's the rule. We don't say, oh, that was holding the ball, but that's your warning. You do that again, we're going to pay it. It's yep. just, if they've, done, if they've done the wrong thing, you pay it. Like, I don't understand. If, and if you do start paying it, like anything, just like we were talking about last week with the, um, with the umpire abuse, if you start paying it, they're damn going to make sure that they're not in the, they're, they're in the correct spot. So yeah, just bizarre, completely weird that we've all, we've even had a warning for it. Um, I, I actually didn't go back and tally the fifty meters from last week. It was looking pretty grim for me because I think I said that the over under was about twenty. I mean, oh, there was, was one on Wednesday on night, and then there was eight on Thursday night. So <laughs> we might have been close. 
Um, Jake, I'll stay with you. The Sydney Derby is the best rivalry in footy right now. I don't know where this where this statement came from. Um, no, no, it's not. Okay, it's. I don't even think it's close. Do it when we talk about rivalries. Does it does it have to be like when, take take crowd numbers out of the equation? Okay. Well, what's what are we sort? How are we ranking them then? Are we quality is, is of it, contests, spitefulness, uh, closeness well, quality of, of games? Contests, St Kilda and Gold Coast seem to play crackers every time they play. But it was is that a great rivalry? I don't know. I, I would building. put it this way. I know Adelaide's going to be you know have struggled last year and, and probably will struggle again this year. But I think the showdown is still, it, it feels to me that that is the, just about the biggest marquee game outside of sort of Anzac Day on, mm. on the AFL calendar. I've never played in a final. The Swans and the Giants have played in a final three times. In- three times. I was going to say that. That's my one. It's three times in six years, I think. There would be, there'd be no other two teams that have played each other in finals more than twice in that time, but somehow Sydney keep getting GWS or GWS kept getting Sydney when yeah. it gets to the finals. And last year's elimination final was outrageously good football that this was year this it was probably the game of the round on saturday luke parker uh, hadn't had an absolute had, had an absolute day out um the swans still lost and the giants oh well, firstly as well just a real quick side note that that gray jumper surely the best one in the league just quietly um but yeah I, I don't know i think in terms of quality of contest christian over the course of the last maybe especially two or three years these teams have played some some really good games yeah, I, I, and again, I, I definitely agree with that. I'm, I'm a big showdown fan. I always think we're very Victorian-centric and a showdown. I always feel like no matter where the teams are on the ladder, they both sort of get up and about for that. But, yeah, I'm, I, don't, I, I won't say it's – I still say it's uh, hyperbole. That I don't think it's the biggest rivalry. But what you're saying, actually, yeah, it's sort of – as I said, when I noticed they played three finals in such a short amount of time, I'm like, yeah. But they, again, maybe we're so Victorian-centric, we don't realise the rivalry that is forming right in front of our eyes. Bit of a tenuous link um, for the next statement, but round one crowds were a disappointment, Jake. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, and I'm, I was actually surprised that there was so much, uh, so much around, Angst. so much spoken about this. I just don't think, what do people want to see? What do people expect? Oh, yeah, it, it, it I think, I think the big disappointment might have been the, the opener, 58,002 people but at the G. But that's on the AFL for scheduling on a Wednesday night. Mm. There, there was a bit of talk Monday, Tuesday last week that we could be break, it could be a new record for a round. So they did, I don't know who threw that out there, but I was the same. I was quite surprised. Like it was the most we've had at a game since in a round since 2018 or something, which doesn't seem like too much, you know, anything to write home about. But I think it was sort of sold earlier in the week that, yeah, this is going to be a huge round and sort of never eventuated. Yeah, the Wednesday one's a strange one. We talked about this a little bit last week and we said we'd reserve judgment until after um, the match was played. But riddle me this, guys. Why isn't why wouldn't the grand finalists playing off in the season opener, why wouldn't you put that on the Thursday night? And if you still wanted the Carlton-Richmond blockbuster to be played that weekend, shunt that to the Friday night and then have the rest of the week, you know, sort of play I, out I from would, there. What, why the Wednesday to, to protect the, the Thursday only, game? The only thing I can think of is they've done that so that they've the clear been air. able to watch all the games. Yeah. But if, I, I would rather have, instead of having the Wednesday night weird slot, have the grand final replay on the Thursday, move Carlton to Richmond to Friday night, and then have one of those other games. I'd rather have another game on the Monday night. I, I, I'm going to change. I'm going to. I, I don't mind that idea. I would rather have a double header on the Friday night 
Given WA is still three hours behind Victoria. You've been big on this. Yeah, I think especially early in the season when WA is three hours behind Victoria, you could do a, a game starting at 9.30 on the Friday night, sort of 6.30 but or even you, later. Re, hang you on, rewind. Do you want to come and backhaul that one for me? Or? <laughs> if you guys trained me <laughs> 10 up. 10.30 was a late enough finish Sunday night. What are you trying <laughs> to get me to finish at 12.30? <laughs> what happens Fair when enough. you got the early Saturday start? Uh, yeah no that's that's a good point but i think there's i mean it would be for what there's two or three rounds before um the the clocks change so there's an opportunity to do that and give wa fans a legitimate prime time friday night clash and it doesn't need to be against an east coast side you could very much do it you know Fremantle versus port adelaide or you could do a a derby in 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 round Mm. one or two um, I think there's a there's a space there for it. To, hey, to like experiment. like anything in life, you gotta you gotta just try things and see what works. Look, the AFL tried Wednesday. I, I I'm not gonna. You can't not crush, crush them for it. You'd be disappointed if they go again next year with it because it's clearly not hasn't worked. And they've put in their marquee game. And I think Christian mentioned this. I think on the first week back on this season's podcast, he said, you know, you you rob yourself of that the hype of being able to build up the grand final replay in round seven, for example, mm. um, by having it just sort of take away. You could put any kind of game, you know, that's, you could put two reasonably big clubs on a, on the season open, just as Richmond and Carlton have done for the last decade or so. And that's enough. You don't need to waste one of your marquee games. Having said that, I thought the round was good. Um, would I want Wednesday football again? I think Tuesday and Wednesday are probably the only two days of the week where I'm happy to not have football. Much rather have have a game on a Monday night than a Wednesday night. See, I'm not I'm not too fast on the days, but as I said, I go back to what I said at the top of the pod. What I loved is how we got to watch all nine games, if you want to, all 18, 18 teams. You want that in round one, and I feel like you want that in round 23. So I know when we talk about the week off before the finals and everyone's got our break. But again, round 23, when you've got so many retirements and things like that, how good would it be to be able to sit down and watch every team play that final round, just in case there is there's a St Kilda Gold Coast game where they're playing 16th versus 15th, but it's Nick Rewalt's last game, so everyone gets to sort of watch it. So to me, yeah, I'm not fussed on the days, but I feel like round one and round 23, if they can be just single games all the way through the rounds, that would make me happy. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, um, AFL, if you're listening... Enjoy. We've just given you some uh, some free stuff. Hey, last one uh, for Justified Hype or Hyperbole. We'll make this one quick. Um, Buddy will get to his 1,000 goals this week. Christian, he's four away. What is the average per game off the top uh, of your head? Just under. So let's say no. Let's put the statistics. I think like, it's, about yeah, it's, it's quite funny. It's that the I did hear at the end of the game, he's only four away. Well, he's got to, yeah, he's got to, you know, increase his output by four times from the weekend. Um, yeah, I'm leaning towards a no. Um, Again, yeah, we, we sort of, as we sort of said, Luke Parker's kicked five, so they're not obsessed with it. They're not trying to get him the ball no. and get him the thousandth. And Geelong are really, really good defensively. So I, I I don't see him kicking four this week. Jake, your thoughts? You're going to the game, so <laughs> yeah, I I'll be there. I hope look, I hope he does. I think it'd be it'd be a nice I think it'd be nice to do it against Geelong, a team he's obviously played a lot of football against uh, at the SCG. Weather's not going to be great, which is not ideal, but I, I think it would be, I think it'd be a nice moment to do it. I was still disappointed that the AFL didn't schedule, uh, schedule Hawthorne in round two or round three. I thought that Seems would have been like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Though. I thought that would have been perfect. No brainer. Um, but no, look, Christian's right. I think you can easily look at it and say he only needs four more, but okay. He is past his, pr- he's still great, but he's past his prime and he's going to have to 
he's going to have to increase his out. I think his career average at the SCG is like 3.3 or 3.4. So he's going to have to better that. Having said that, if he had two at quarter time, you'd probably be, you'd probably be betting on him to do it from there. So look, he's the kind of player that can do it in a quarter. Mm. um, And I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, look, I think it's a real coin flip. I'll, I'll say yes. I reckon he'll get it done. I reckon he'll get an early one. He'll he'll get his sort of tail up. He's had that. I think there's been so much talk and expectation in the offseason that it could happen in round one. Didn't happen. He's got one goal closer. And then yeah. I think now, you know, all of a sudden there might be a little bit more attention on Luke Parker. I don't know if Tom Papley's coming back as well. So that just mean that just gives him a little bit more space in the forward line as well in terms of, you know, less attention. Do you want to hear my conspiracy theory? Go on. They scheduled the round one game against the Giants at a core stadium because they wanted a big crowd. But they've told Buddy, nah, just hold your horses, mate. Just hold your horses. We, we can squeeze this out for another week. We'll get you Friday night against the Cats, SCG. We'll get 40,000 there. Um, hey, it's great for the Swans. Like, if, if they drag this out to round 10, I mean, it's just more eyeballs that are watching every no, every. I mean, as long game. as they're still winning, I guess. But uh, anyway, that's a very tongue-in-cheek um, conspiracy theory for you. Hey, we're going to wrap things up shortly. Um, you can tip with us this year. We've got a we've got our own competition on on the Footy Tips app. Um, we Jake, do. I know you're you are bursting to say what you're going to say, and no, I know what I you're going to say. I can't believe I forgot to say this earlier. Um, uh, yes, well, I'll I'll let you get there. But before <laughs> before I do, um, footytips.com.au slash ESPN Footy Pod, um, or if I think it's in the ESPN app, you can just search for the competition ESPN Footy Pod. Worst case scenario, head to Twitter. Um, at footy tips we are on twitter uh, there's a link in there somewhere so if you scroll down um you'll be able to find a link to the competition you can join us uh jake you have something to say we'll ha- we'll uh, we'll have to share it out again we want we'll try and get as many people as we can in this competition so i can beat more people than the <laughs> usual <amount. laughs> uh i was pleasantly su- well i wasn't surprised i was uh just had a look this morning and yeah top Top of the table after one round. Normally, you sort of uh, work your way up through consistency, but <laughs> picking the blues uh, was You've seemed to be the it. one. Yeah, I changed it at the last minute. I uh, I was I had Richmond. I reckon with about ten minutes to go, I just thought, no, nah, it's our year. I said it on the podcast last blues week. I'm go- I'm gonna go hard on the blues, and yeah, so not Fair bad. Enough. I can't see your, your name. Oh, get off it. Um, I'm, I got seven, so I'm not too far behind you, but I think there's a, there's a, a swathe of us that have tipped seven for the week. And I think, Christian, you were just below us on six. Yeah, I think I started on, started on fire. I was three out of three with Collingwood, Tip Carlton, but yeah, yeah, Essendon, never again. No, the bombers. Jesse <laughs> Robinson, our old producer on, uh, on four. That's a shocker. He might have tipped the Tigers. He's a big Tigers fan. He is though. a Tiger, but, but I tell you what, where's he? what's, what's happened with the other ones? we'll ask him after this Jesse (laughs) Uh, reminder yep you can tip with us get your tips in Uh, it's not too late to join our comp Uh, it's good fun and Jake we're not far away from our 100th episode uh, of covering the men's season so I don't know where you're at with this special surprise your face is is showing me that you haven't organized anything at all (laughs) where's the update Um, we will have an update for you next episode okay so hold your, hold your horses. <laughs> They've been held all season. Um, all right. Thanks, guys, for <laughs> tuning in for another week. It's been fun. Christian, Jake, good to speak with you both. Uh, to everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.